Hey, and welcome to the Free Chapel Podcast. Let's get into this week's message from Pastor Jensen Franklin. The movie Mulligan is such a great reminder to focus on what really matters in life. Everybody needs a do-over. Everybody needs a second chance. And this movie will show you that second chances are only one ask away. The life-changing movie will be in theaters for two nights only, April 18th and 19th. This was such a fun project to be a part of. I was so honored. It's my first movie to ever play a part in, and I really enjoyed the experience. And it seems like it's a message that the world really needs to hear right now. It's going to help so many people believe in second chances. The Mulligan, go check it out, April the 18th and the 19th. And I want you to open your Bibles to Psalms 118, Psalms 118. And while you're turning there, I want you to know that in just a moment, uh, we're going to not just be preaching to you, but we will be going to all of our campuses all over the East Coast also not live, but we're going to record this and they're going to play it at all of our campuses next Sunday. I wanted them to have a little taste of West Coast worship. And, uh, and so this, this message that I'm going to share this morning, uh, I want you to teach those Southern bells how to praise the Lord out there and, and, uh, know that we're touching literally when we do this at all of our campuses, there will be thousands and thousands and thousands of people for the glory of God. We're so honored that you're here today. It's a beautiful congregation. You look great and honored to have all of you. We deeply appreciate you. Go with me to Mark chapter 14, and then we're going to go to Psalms chapter 118. And as you're turning there, I want you to give a warm welcome to all of our campuses joining us for Easter Sunday. Can we tell them that we love them out here on the West Coast? And man, these people are alive and on fire. We welcome all of you. Happy Easter, everybody. And we're celebrating a little bit early, but that's all right. We're getting, a, we're getting way ahead. I'm preaching today one verse that I want to draw your attention to, and I'll do it in just a few moments. But I had an unusual week this week, and the message that I'm sharing I had never shared before until this past uh, Wednesday. And I preached it at a 33-year-old young man's funeral that Sharice and I and all of our family knew this young man because he as a kid, lived in our neighborhood. We've lived in the same home for almost 30 years, I guess. 35 years in the same home. She's redone it several times, of course, (laughs) but but it's the same house. And this boy by the name of Brad grew up with my kids, went to school with them, and and, uh, he passed away this week suddenly and unexpectedly. And it threw all of us for a spin and I was asked to do the memorial service and I felt like God gave me this message not only for that situation but for all of us especially this Easter and I want to go and notice something in 
the scriptures. And I'll just take you there in a minute, but I want to I give it to you like I felt the Lord gave it to me. I'll give you my title in just a moment. But go back with me. The setting was the Lord's Last Supper. He had rented an upper room and all of the disciples had gathered for the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover was a joyful celebration. It was not sad. It was a celebration of victory of how God brought Moses and the children of Israel out by the blood of the Lamb. When the blood was put on their homes, the angel, the death angel passed over. And so it was this huge celebration to this day. The Passover is a celebration, a huge celebration, even in the Jewish culture. But it was at this joyful, they were light, they were happy. It was at that moment that Jesus introduced something different and something new. He introduced the bread and the wine. He said, this bread represents my body. This bread is the bread come down from heaven. This bread, and they didn't understand completely what he was saying, but he said, this bread from this night forward will represent my body, meaning I am God and I'm God in skin. I'm God in flesh. This bread is my body. I am God. The Bible said he was God condensed, as remarkable as that is, even says in one scripture that the Godhead was in him bodily. He was 100% man because he was the skin, the, bre the bread. But inside of that, he was 100% God. The skin part, the body part was born in Bethlehem, but the God part, Jesus was the body part, but Christ was the eternal God part. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but God was <laughs> before all in the beginning was God. And they, they didn't really comprehend, but what Jesus was really saying is I'm introducing a new covenant. I'm revealing a secret to you through this meal that I, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know who God is, if you want to know whether or not you should fear him and be afraid of him and be ashamed to, to, to even get around him because you're not holy enough and you're not clean. It, Jesus said, if you want to know what God, I know in the old Testament, there's one God. And that one God was a God of judgment and vengeance and law. And we all understand that. But he said, now I'm putting that God in skin. And I want you to see the new covenant, the secret that I'm revealing to you through my, my, my body will be the skin, the bread, and my blood will be your redemption, and I'm cutting a new covenant. Here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. What Jesus was saying is if you've seen the Father, you have, if you've seen me, you see the Father. He and I are one. In other words, how Jesus acted is how God acts under the new covenant. How Jesus loves is how Jesus, God loves under the new covenant. What about Jesus? How did he act? A lot of people are terrified and afraid of God. 
But Jesus was the manifestation of God on earth of a new and better covenant. And what did Jesus do with guilty people, with people who failed, with people who, who did horrible things? The Bible said Jesus, Jesus touched the untouchable. Jesus touched lepers and, and hung out with people. No, he ate with publicans and sinners, the most wicked people. He did not put himself behind the Old Testament. God put himself behind a veil in a box and wouldn't. And if you touched him, you would die. But now the new covenant, Jesus in flesh, this is my body. This is my blood. And I want you to know who I am. He ate with sinners and publicans. He hung out. He, they brought him a woman taken in the very act of adultery. And he said, throw the first stone if you are guiltless. And none of them could throw the stones. The only one qualified that could do that was him. He was without sin and he could have thrown the stone. But see Jesus under the new covenant. See him through flesh and blood as he loves this woman. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus walked 21 miles to, to, to Samaria to a woman at the well who had been married five times. I mean, wouldn't you give up on her after three? Five times she had been married and the sixth, now she's living, shacking up with her lover. And Jesus walked 21 miles for that one woman, he didn't want to hang out with religious people. He didn't want to hang out with preachers. He didn't want to hang out with people who thought they were holy. He, this is who, this is who Jesus is. I don't know what your conception of God is. I don't know what people have told you about God, that he hates you, that he can't say. Show me one picture in the Bible of anyone that was so bad, so unclean, so, so messed up that he didn't love them. There's only one time that he got angry and it was never at a person who had messed up and failed. It was at religious people in the temple when he turned the tables over and started whipping them. Now, here's what I want you to get. He's, he's, he's saying, I'm not the monster God of the Old Testament. I love you. I know everything about you and I love you. I've come to give you the shed blood in my body that you could be healed and restored and be part of my family. And... Think about what Jesus knew that they didn't know. Jesus knew that within moments after eating that meal, he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and there his familiar friend Judas would betray him. He knew it. They didn't. He knew that soon he would enter into the Garden of Gethsemane, that dark garden where he would pray under such heaviness, where the prince of this world, Satan, would literally come into that garden and put such pressure on him, such agony on him mentally before he ever fought it physically with the cross, the mental game that he had to fight in the garden of Gethsemane until his sweat became mingled with drops of blood. He knew that he would be falsely accused. He knew that he would be arrested and beaten 
until his back was like a plowed open field. He knew that he would be spat on and that they would pluck the beard from his face and that they would open-handedly slap him in the face. We all saw a big slap at the academies. That's the kind of slap that Jesus took in the face for you, for me. Only he didn't deserve it. He knew that his execution was coming. He knew that for three hours on that Friday that the sun would refuse to shine even though it was noon when they put him on the cross. The Bible is very specific. He died at fr on Friday at noon and he hung, on, or he hung on the cross at noon and for three hours in agony he twisted and he turned as his hands were nailed to the cross. His feet were pierced with that spike. His side was gaping open. He had a crown of thorns and the back was bleeding. He bled from his body. And as he turned and twist for three hours from 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 3 p.m., the sun refused to shine as it watched its creator. The Bible said it became black and night in noontime. As he died, he knew what was coming. He knew it. And he, he, knew, he knew that he could stop it. The Bible said, he said, if I wanted to, when they came to arrest him, I could call for 12 legions of angels. A legion is in Roman days was 6,000 soldiers in a unit. So six times 12 is 72,000 angels. I have an army of angelic protectors. And if I wanted to, I could wipe out the whole Roman army. You say, you think 72,000 could have done it? One angel in the old Testament slew 185,000 Assyrian angels. Yeah. I think 72,000 of them could handle about anything. <laughs> he could have, they didn't take his life. He laid it down like a sacrifice. He said, Father, let this cup pass. He was in anguish. He was trying to decide. It's going to cost me. It's going to hurt. Let it pass. I don't know if I can take this cross. I don't know if I can take it. And then, this is where I've been wanting to get to. Something strange happened. He knew what was about to happen. But before he left that upper room to go to that garden and start it all, and within 24 hours, he would be dead on a cross and body would be put in the tomb and left to, to rot. But in Mark chapter 14 and verse 26, the Bible said, Mark 14 and 26, quickly, the Bible said, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus had rented the room. He was the host of the feast and he stood up. This is undisputable. And he began to sing a hymn and astoundingly they sung with him. I can think of a lot of things I might want to do before I go and have the worst day of my life. 
But Jesus, our example, knowing what he was about to walk into, stood up. And he didn't say, fellas, y'all need to go ahead. I need a minute. I, I, I need to go weep. I need to go cry. I need to go in a room somewhere. I'll need to be by myself and get my act together. No, he stood up knowing what they didn't know, knowing he had just ate his last meal, knowing the cross was before him, the suffering was before him, the betrayal was before him, the false lies and accusations were before him. All of it, the whipping, the beating, all of it, the nails, the pound of the hammer, the thug of the cross dropping into the hole, his body jeering and shaking in pain. He knew it was coming, but he stood up and sung a hymn. Oh, that messed me up. The word hymn is Hallel. It's what they have sung in the Jewish faith. During the festivals, there are certain songs that they sing and the one for, the one for Passover, the Psalms are Psalms 113 through Psalms 118 in your Bible. Some of them were sung before the meal, but only three of them were kept for after the meal. So there is no question what Jesus sung after the Passover meal. He sung Psalms 118. What do you do on the worst day of your life? What do you do when you're facing something that you can't get out away from, when you know suffering is coming and there's no escape from it? What do you do? Do you lay down? Do you give up? Do you lose hope? Do you sink into depression and despair? The king said, no, I'm going to sing. Sing, king. That's the title of my sermon. <laughs> sing, king. Well, what's he going to sing? This is going to blow your mind. It did mine. Maybe it won't, but it did mine. Psalms 118. What is Psalms 118? It starts off. Now, he, knowing what they didn't know, said, we're going to sing. And here's what I'm going to sing. Verse 1, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Then he sings in verse six, he says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. He's singing this prophetically. He knows he's going to be sacrificed. And he says, I'm not afraid of what man can do to me. It's real. The pain's going to be real. The suffering's going to be real, but he's beside me and I can take anything life throws at me. What else did he sing? Verse eight, it's better to trust in the Lord than put your confidence in man. What else did he sing? In verse 11, they surrounded me. Listen, listen, listen. He's, he's already on the cross and he sees them, so the soldiers surrounding him, the spears, the, the Pharisees, and they surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They pushed me, verse 13, violently that I might fall. He's talking about when I carry the cross, somebody's going to push me and I'll break under the load and, and and there's a man that will have to carry the cross, but he he was all he was singing about it. Oh, then it gets crazy in verse 14. He's, he's singing this song, knowing what he's facing, and he says, "The Lord is my strength and my song." Sing, King. 
Singing King, you mean in the middle of suffering you got a song? You mean in the middle of dying when death has you in its jaws? You are not sorrowful. You're not fear-filled. You're not tormented. Listen, every one of us are going to die. Every one of us are going to face it unless the Lord comes soon. And when we face it, Jesus gives us the example. He says, sing, King. You're made kings and priests unto your God. And I've given you a song that even death can't conquer. Watch, 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 watch. Quit clapping. You're taking my time. This blew my mind. Verse 17. What's he singing? What are you going to sing, King? The cross is coming. The suffering is coming. Death is coming. What are you going to sing, King? Sing, King. And he says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. That's a prophecy of his resurrection. The very next part of the verse says, the Lord has chastened me severely. Whom the Lord loves, he whips. And he says, I've been chastened severely, but it wasn't my fault. I'm sinless. He was whipped for you. He was whipped for me. But then he ends it by another powerful statement. He sings, but he has not given me over to death. There's no question. Read any scholar and they'll tell you the, the hymn Jesus sung was Psalms 118. And in it were the prophecy was the prophecy of the resurrection. He has not given me over to death. Oh, but then it gets even better. What are you going to sing, King? Well, I think I'll sing about verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He's saying, they're going to reject me. I'll go into my own. They, they'll not receive me. They're going to put me on a cross. But Jesus said, I'm going to become the cornerstone upon which the whole kingdom and church will be built because I'm, I, I am the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, verse 33, 23, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And then this one is the one. This is this next one. He's, what's he going to sing when he knows he's going into the worst day of his life? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it because I don't just worship my father when it's sunshine and happy days and mountaintops and good successful things and blessings are coming. But he said, I've learned that when pain is there, suffering is there, mama's crying, his mother was at the cross weeping, his disciples were weeping, his followers were weeping. When your life is filled with tears, that's no time to lose your song. That's when we stand even more in confidence and say, this too is the day the Lord has made. He knew I would be here and he's already given me grace that in all things, there's nothing the enemy can do to you that God can't work out for you if you'll put it in his hands. Take a praise break on Palm Sunday and give him a mighty praise. Sing, King. Sing if you're in trouble. Sing if you're in pain. Sing if you're suffering. Sing if you've lost a loved one. Sing if you've got tears coming down your face. We don't quit. We don't pout. We don't have a pity party. We sing. Christianity never has a season without a song. Oh, I refuse to preach. It's time to praise and give God some glory right now. Hallelujah. At every campus, give him praise. Sing, King. How can he sing on the worst day of his life? How can a king sing through the worst pain imaginable? 
I think about people who are going through cancer right now. I think about people that I know who are in the, in the, in the, in the stages, the worst stages of cancer. I think about my brother who died of cancer toward the end. It was down to nothing. He was a six foot four, tall, strong, handsome man. But by the time that disease got a hold of him, but I still remember him on his deathbed. I still remember him in the last days of his life. He would go around singing the praises of God. And I always wonder where did that song come from? I get it. The king taught him to sing no matter what you're facing. Don't lose your joy. Don't lose. If Christianity is anything, it is joy in any circumstance that the world cannot take away. Oh, this will heal you of depression. This will get you off of addiction. This will change your life. There's a song that our king can give you that'll cause you to sing. Hmm. Can I finish this song? This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Send now prosperity. Blessed, this is so interesting, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you know what they sung when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem? They sung from Psalms 118 and verse 26. They took palm branches and said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who, where'd they get those lyrics from? Psalms 118 verse 26. The Bible's an amazing book, folks. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is our Lord and he has given us light. This part got me the latter part of verse 27. Jesus is singing his last song after his last meal about to face his worst day. And he says, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Take the sacrifice and tie him up so that he can't get away and get ready to slaughter the lamb. He was singing about himself. He was, when he said that, he knew I'm going to the cross. They're going to bind me with nails to the, to the horns of the altar. And there I will be sacrificed for the sins of the world. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You are my God. I will exalt you. Verse 29, the last verse. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. How, how can you sing King? How can you sing on the worst day of your life? Hebrews 12 and verse two for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. The only way he endured the cross is he saw beyond the pain and saw the gain. And for the joy that was set before him, I can, I can make it through what I'm going through. If I don't focus on what I'm going through, I'm going to focus on what I'm going to. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to make it because for the joy that was set before him, he's thinking out there while he's going through this, while he's carrying the cross, while he's carrying the shame of all of our sins. 
He's thinking out there and he's saying, I'm going to gain something. I'm going to gain a new family. I'm going to gain sons and daughters. I'm going to gain people in, in Orange County and, and all of our churches in Atlanta and all of our churches in South Carolina. All of you. I'm going to gain people because, and he saw you and he saw me when he was dragging that cross. I want to preach, sing King, because hell has lost its keys. Sing King, because death is about to die. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Sing King, because death has lost its sting. Sing King, because your blood is gonna save the world. Sing King, because three days from now, the stone's going to be rolled away and you're going to come out triumphant and you need to sing, King, because the enemy will not have the last, the last act in this play. Sing, King. I guess what I'm preaching is don't let the devil steal your song. But you got to learn to sing. The Bible said in Psalms 137, I believe it is, 27, something like that, that the children of Israel... When they were taken captive into Babylon, they had sung in glorious days in the temple. But the Bible said when they, when they went into captivity at the river of Babylon about to cross over, knowing they'd never get back to Jerusalem, there we sat down and we wept and we remembered Zion and they hung their harps up in the willow trees. They hung their harps. This, this saxophone right here, this is my saxophone. And um, this, this horn has been, I've been playing this thing since I was 12 years old. I, I, I've known this horn longer than I've known almost anybody in my life. I've never faced a trial that was so severe that I would say, because this has happened, this represents my worship. This represents my praise. I've never faced a, a trial so severe that I would say, now that this has happened, I'll never get over it. I'm going to hang this up in the weeping willow tree and I'll never touch it again. I'll never play it again. Wow. I'll never sing a song of praise again. My joy's gone. My song's gone. It's over. But they reached that point. And the Bible said something powerful. It said they sat down and began to weep after they hung. The, the enemy will come to you and say, just hang it up. You're not going to get through this one. You're not going to get over this one. You're not going to be all right after this one. I don't care what kind of song you sing. That life will never be the same. It may never be the same. And the enemy wants you to hang your harp or your praise, your song in the willow tree. I've never faced anything like that, but they did. And there's something interesting. It said they sat down and began to weep. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, you can sit down and begin to weep or you can stand up and begin to sing like your king. <laughs> Jesus faced that moment. 
He could have lost his song, but he said, I'm not going to hang my song up in the weeping trees. I know the pain is real. I know the hurt is real. I know the divorce is real. I know the agony is real. I know the disease is real. I know the broken family is real. I know the business is in trouble. I know it's real. I'm not making light of the real thing, but I'm telling you, you don't ever let the enemy take your song. You can, you can sit down and weep or, whew, or you can stand up and on Easter Sunday you can sing. He's still alive. He's still by my side. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And when this is over, there will be a resurrection. Whew. Sing, King. Sing, King. People die in strange ways. Keep playing. I like that. People die. Things happen in life that try to steal our song. But Jesus, in the worst day of his life, taught us something. Get you a hymn. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. Free Chapel can now be your home church no matter where you live with Free Chapel Online. Watch weekly messages from wherever you are with your family and friends, join online small groups, volunteer, and more. Plus, there's weekly content for youth and kids. Join today by downloading the Free Chapel app or head over to freechapel.org online. And a special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or on our website and app. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.